Well, as we turn to the 10th commandment this morning, um, I want to just, it's a very simple idea, this idea of coveting, uh, you shall not covet. Um, and as I think about it, this is actually something for me to very easy to relate to. I don't know, many of you have been to uh, our new house. Our new home is, uh, it is beautiful. It is, in fact, I would call it palatial. Um, it is a beautiful home, and we have been so content there. I wake sometimes I come down to the main floor in the morning, and I think, wow, this is just a beautiful home. And I give thanks to the Lord for it. And uh, we, were in our, we were in the house about two to three weeks living there, thinking, this is just amazing. And then I realized, and as driving down our, our road, our neighborhood, I realized that there are, just like in most neighborhoods, there are other houses that have the same floor plan, right? It's basically the same, same look, etc. And I'm going to notice that there were some, though, the same house, but these houses had an attic, and there were like windows on the attic. And my house doesn't have that. And I'm like, oh, that would be so great to look out that attic window, like reading a book or having my kids play up in the attic. I'm not going to have that. We're never going to have an attic. I mean, we got one up there, but it's like you can't use it. God, in the sense that we should have gotten that house, right? That's the house we should have gotten. And we, now we renovated the wrong house. It's, what a disaster, right? It's just like how it goes. This is how, we, this is how, this is how I roll, right? The other, and Sarah makes these amazing chocolate chunk. Not, cho- not chocolate, listen to this, kids. Not chocolate chip cookies. These are chocolate chunk cookies. Think about that, huh? Right, you can never have too much chocolate, right? I mean, it's just unbelievable. So it's amazing. And you're right out of the oven, and then it kind of cooled down over dinner. And then we have these cookies. And like Sarah would, be, well, would pass it on the plate. And of course, right, right at the beginning, I lock on to that certain cookie. You know what I'm talking about? That cookie with the most chocolate chunks in it. I'm th- and I think, I dub it, I'm thinking, that's mine. That's my cookie. I don't say anything because I don't want to appear greedy, right? I want to, right? But I ask my cookie. And then someone takes, I say, I asked my cookie. That's right, that's my cookie, right? I lay claim to it's mine, you're taking my thing, and it's actually theirs, it's not mine, it's theirs, but I want theirs. I want theirs, a sense of coveting. I don't know how many of you have seen um, the, the movie adaptation of um, Alexander Dumas' The Count of Monte Cristo. It's an incredible adaptation. It's a little, it's like early 2000s, I want to say. It's just phenomenally, which works so well, I, mean, I can't say it's well done, I've never actually read the book. The book is massive. But like, the, the movie adaptation is so good, in fact, my daughters and I were watching it recently, and your parents, you need to use uh, discretion um, in, in the movie. But um, it's really about two friends. It's about a guy who's basically a commoner, Edmund Dantes. And he, he Edmund is a commoner, but he, he's, he's young, successful, and in terms of his work's going well. And he has a, a beautiful um, uh, fiancé that, that they're, they're hoping to get married. And, uh, and he has this, this lifelong friend who's actually of a different socioeconomic class. He's a nobleman. So he's, Edmund is a, is a commoner, but uh, his friend Fer, Fer, Ferdinand, Fernand, there you go, Fernand, is, um, is a nobleman. And of course the story is a story of incredible betrayal. It's, inc- it's a story of, of, of this nobleman betraying his uh, friend who's a, a commoner and, uh, and framing him actually, frames him for high treason. And the rest of the story, it's a, it's a story of betrayal and a story of, of incredible revenge. And at one point in the story, toward the, toward the, toward the end, when the, the two of them are, are, are fighting, the two former friends are fighting, the, the commoner, Edmund, he says, why? In God's name, why? Why did you do this to me? 
And the nobleman's, his, his, his former friend's response is so incredible. He says, because you're the son of a clerk and I'm not supposed to want to be you. Isn't that amazing? He wanted his life. He wanted his, his success. He wanted his girlfriend. He wanted what he had. And it was the, it was the, out, it was the, uh, the source, the origin, if you will, the motivation for betrayal, for, for just absolutely um, destroying his friend's life that leads to a cycle of vengeance. And the, again, the movie's just simply incredible to, uh, to, to, to watch. There's such good dialogue and phenomenal acting. Coveting is simple to define. It's simply wanting something that is not your own. Wanting something that is not your own. In my own life, coveting, as I've already shared, has been a very real thing. In fact, when I think of the thing that I struggle most in coveting, it's, it's, it's wanting, I don't know if you're familiar with this word, it's kind of a social media word now, but it's wanting the platform that others have. It's wanting that influence. It's wanting that say. It's wanting, that, it's wanting to, be, to speak at a conference, to be a big deal. It's wanting to be on a panel with other influential Christian leaders. It's wanting people to hear and go, oh, that's so true. Right? It's wanting this sense of influence. And it's exactly, in fact, it's exactly what Jesus condemns. In Matthew 23, you know, I always like to think of myself as so different from the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And the truth is, I'm not at all. It's just so scary. In Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking of the religious leaders of his day. And he says this, everything they do is for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. Listen to this. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. And rabbi here isn't some, we, we use the word today, the notion of a Jewish rabbi. Here, rabbi, there were no rabbis in Jesus' day. Um, rabbi here is not a formal position. Rabbi means, it's Aramaic, it means great one. They love to be called, hey, oh, great one. Right? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be called, oh, great one? Right? That's what I want. I want to be called, oh, great one. Right? I want, I want the sense, I want to be a big deal, make a big splash. I want a platform. And I, and I covet those who have it. And I think, you know, I could have done better than they did. I could have done, I could have done better. I should have done that. I, that should be me. That should be me. And it leads to competition and, and, and all manner of just toxic, a toxic thought life. So the 10th commandment invites us to ask, what am I wanting? What are you wanting this morning? What are you wanting and why? You know, my, my, uh, all through high school, I, took, I, took, I suffered through four years of Latin. And I had a wonderful, wonderful Latin teacher, Mr. Evans. And Mr. Evans had so much wisdom to pass on to us. He just, uh, he always amazed us. And one of the things that he liked to say, I think I might have even said, shared this before. But he says, you know, he says, most of the world lives in misery because they've never gotten what they wanted. And then he says, but the rest of the world lives in misery because they did get what they wanted. Right? There's this sense of, wait a minute, what do I really want here? Do I really know what I want? And the 10th commandment calls us away from coveting, and it calls us to contentment. And that's why I'm going to spend just a little bit of time this morning talking about how do we get there? How do we go from coveting to contentment? Well, it's by seeing three things. The first is by seeing our very limited perspective. We have a very limited perspective in life. 
there's a wonderful uh, prayer. I don't even know quite the origin of it. So it's, the, it's often called the prayer of the Civil War soldier. And the prayer is, it's not really a prayer. It's more of a prayer report. But it's, it's a beautiful prayer. Let me just read it to you, okay? Where the, 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 the soldier says this. He says, I asked for strength. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. And I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all men, most richly blessed. Isn't that an amazing thing? See, we, we so rarely see things accurately, especially other people's lives. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he, he's, uh, he travels a lot. In fact, he travels overseas for his work, and he was in Paris. And he went to, um, I think he was at the Orsay, or maybe it was the Louvre, I'm not sure. But that, you know, these, one of these amazing museums, right? And he was all by himself. And at the time, he's not any longer, but at the time he was single. He was, he was recently divorced. And he, um, he just, just struggling terribly. He's one of the worst, I've, I've walked through divorce with a number of people as a minister. And this is probably one of the worst divorces I've ever seen. It's just so bitter, brutal, just prolonged. And, uh, and he was just, just so, after that divorce, so lonely. And he was in Paris, and, and he's walking to this museum, and, and he told me about it. He says, you know, I was there, and I'm thinking, what a romantic city. What a romantic museum. Here I am alone. And he said, I walked around this, this corner, looking at the various paintings, and there was this couple there. And they were like, she was hanging on him, and they were just so in love. And I thought, why isn't that me? Right? Why isn't that me? Of course, does he know anything about this couple? Does he have any idea how even long they've been together? Does he know anything about, just about anything in their lives? No. But the, the mere appearance, the sense of, oh, look at that. That must be so good. And that's true today, especially in our social media world. I mean, you want, you want, do you want like, to be dissatisfied? Get on social media. I mean, do you want to be just miserable in your life? Just, just scroll through Facebook right? See how other people are living their lives, and they're so happy, right? They have all these likes. Everyone likes them. They have all these friends. I mean, who are these people that have like 3,000 Facebook friends? It's like, how, I don't even, I'm not even sure I've met that many people in my life. I mean, see, whiz, you know? And, and you go through, scroll through it, and it's this highly tailored, carefully constructed presentation of who I want you to see me to be. And I don't even know, you probably you have people, you actually know them, and you scroll through their, their Facebook page, and you're like, that's not you. Come on, really? I mean, that's the, I know who you are. I know what you're going through. And again, I'm not trying to say that you need to, like, you know, have all your, bear all your skeletons on, on Facebook. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying, like, it's, we live in a world where we so, we so quickly think that we know what's going on in others' lives, and we, and we covet them. We want to be them. Oh, if I only had that marriage. Oh, if I only had that job. Oh if, I, oh, if only I were her. Right? 
And it's that we got to see that the path from coveting to contentment is a path that is marked by seeing how limited our perspective is. And it calls us to ask even more fundamental questions. Very basic. None of, this, none of this is really that complicated in some ways, but it's so something that I so quickly forget. And it's this. Do I really know what's best for me? Do I really know what's best for me? As I get older, I mean, I'm not even that old. I mean, on December 5th, I'll be, I'll be 42. And uh, but as I get older and older, I'm just like, you know, I'm really starting to realize I have no idea what's best for me. I really think I do, and it's like, no, I just, I just really don't. I really don't know. So do I know what's best for me? But even more fundamentally than that, I'm going to return to this. This is such an important question. Is God present in my pain? Is he present in my hardship? Is he present in my loss? Is he present in my grief? Is he at work? Is he there is he, does he have purposes and plans for me in my pain? So how do I move? How do we move from coveting to contentment? First, by seeing our limited perspective. But second, by seeing God's unlimited provision. God's unlimited provision. Now, God is a God who just who day in and day out is able to give and give and give in ways that we can't begin to see. I don't know how many times Sarah and I have been in situations where we think, you know, I just don't know how, I don't know how this is going to come out. I don't know, where, where are we going to go from here? I can remember just even at the end of, we came to our time, at the end of our time in Puerto Rico, and uh, we were just exhausted. We were, we were, we were just burned out. Uh, I would say it would be fair to say we were traumatized by all that we've been through through the hurricane. And... Um, I just thought, and Sarah said, you know, I just, this is, this is it. We, we just, we just, we got to go. And, uh, and I just thought, she was, I knew she was right. And I thought, you know, there's just, I know how Presbyterian churches work. I know how the job situation works. I, there's just, we got to go, and I have nowhere to go, and I won't have a job. I mean, it's, it's, it's always easier to get a job when you have a job, right? And I'm just thinking, who's going to hire me? You know, and there's a sense of just, there's no way that in two months' time I'll ever have a job. And it's just, you're thinking that you're so limited in our perspective, but God is unlimited in his provision. And of course, you know the story. You're all stuck with me now, right? You're all stuck with me. It's terrible. And so it's, it's but here we are, right? I mean, here we are. And, and it's amazing to see God. And so what God does is he, I mean, let's, overnight, I started talking to a mentor at the seminary. And he, I said, what do I do? And he said, well, listen, I think, I really think that there's, there's a church here that's struggling that, that you might, you might really be able to help. And not on top of that, I, I'd love to see you. I think I can maybe be able to get you teaching at the seminary. And out of a situation that I thought was completely, I mean, it's completely a train wreck, God places in my life a position that I've always really dreamed of, of being a, both a pastor and a professor at the same time. It drops it from the sky. I didn't even see it coming. And that happens all the time. And again, I, I realize you may be at a place right now where you, you are thinking there is simply no way that God is present in this pain. I want anyone else's life but mine. There's no way that God can, can do what he can. And, 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 and again, that's, that's, that's the question, isn't it? What can, what, does he, is he powerful enough? Does he want to provide? Is he present in my pain? Is he at work? Or am I abandoned? Am I forgotten? Are the forces at play in my life just simply chaotic? Let me give you one, one small example of uh, 
God's provision. That's comical, but so real. Recently, this past, uh, I want to say about a week ago, I, was, I, don't know, I lose track of time. Oh, a week ago, it was in the evening, it was nighttime. I was driving down I-55. And um, yeah, I was, you know, I, mean, I drive a Toyota Camry, white Toyota Camry, as much as you know. And I was going, you know, I was going to, you know, my typical over the speed limit, 80 or so, and down, down 55, just with traffic. And, um, and I'm just going along, you know, whatever, thinking about my minds and everything but the, but the road. And, uh, and these two muscle cars just come screaming by me on both sides, just probably about, I don't know, 110 or 20. You know, I guess they're assuming they're racing. Just boom, right, but, but on both sides of me, because like three or four lanes. And I think, that my, well, my first thought was, that is so stupid. That was so unwise. And my next thought, though, was, I will never drive a car like that. I think one of them was a Dodge Charger, and one was like the Ford Mustang or something, and they were screaming down the road, I'll never get to drive a car like that. Right? So like literally a day or two later, it's the same time, same road, in the evening, it's night, and I'm driving along again, coming home, and, um, and uh, there, I don't know, it happened so fast, there's a truck, I think, in front of me with a bunch of stuff on it, and it's in the, the lane next to me, and uh, something fell off the truck, and right into my lane, and my, the right, the right, right front of my car just, just I didn't have time to swerve or anything, just collided right with it, and just bashed the whole front right end in. And I was able, in the tire, the tire was, thankfully there was no other cars around, I was able to pull to the side, and et cetera, et cetera. And it started raining, and I was, lots of colorful words coming out of my mouth. And, uh, um, but I was trying to change the tire, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, the, 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 the short story is, the shorter story is that basically, I was, next day I was able to limp to the auto body shop and get it turned in. And thankfully we had rental car coverage on our car. So I show up to Enterprise, Enterprise, uh, car rental, and... Uh, the guy's like, yeah, we're just really, we almost pretty much all our cars are gone. In fact, we only got one car left. It's a Dodge Charger. <laughs> and he looked at me, is that okay? And I said, well, let me take a look at it, you know? <laughs> so I go out there, and it's just like this metal gray, and it's, it's a Hemi, and it's only 400 horsepower or whatever. And I'm like, do you have anything, like, anything more horsepower? And he's like, nah, this is all we got. And I said, I'll take it. So here I am literally two, three days later after saying, I will never drive a car like that. Right? I will never. Here I am going down the highway at 50. Uh, much faster than 50. But, you know, I'm going down the highway in a Dodge Charger. Because God is just in his, in his, his, I mean, it's a very small example. It's a very powerful example, I think, in my mind, of how God is able to provide. How, how do we get from contentment, I'm sorry, from, from coveting, the contentment first by, rep, by seeing how limited we are in our perspective, how short-sighted we are. And second, by seeing his unlimited provision. His unlimited provision. If you would, grab your Bible real quick. I'm going to just take us to a psalm that is all about coveting. And it's going to take us to our third point here. Our third point is how do we, go, how do we move from coveting to contentment first? By seeing our limited perspective, by seeing his unlimited provision. And third, by seeing Christ's power. And this, this psalm, it's on page 500 of your, your blue uh, uh, pew Bible, if you want to follow along. It's Psalm 73. Psalm 73. If you don't think the psalms are relevant, watch out. This psalm is so, it is just, it just speaks to our hearts. It speaks to my heart. describes, it shows you how real the psalmists are. The psalmists, they, they, they pull no punches. 
They call life like it is in this amazing way. Psalm 73, page 500. I'm going to read most of this psalm to you because it's just so amazing. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He says, surely that's the case. But then he says, but as for me, this is good, right? God's good to everybody else. God's so good to everybody else, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied, you could say, I coveted. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, there are people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They have a cray of groupies. They have followers. They have, they have all of these folks who just follow them around. They, they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? There's a sense of, he doesn't really care. This is what the wicked are like. Verse 12, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. And then here's, the, here's where he just, just really just lets it all go. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. How's that? It's a life verse, right? You put that on your mirror in the morning. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. All right? What's your favorite verse in the Bible? <laughs> I can relate to that. That's so true. Listen to verse 15. If I had spoken out like that, see, he's saying, I'm not actually, I haven't really told anyone this. Isn't this interesting? He's keeping this, it's hidden in his heart. He's not going to actually say it. Right? That's what we do. We don't actually come out and say it, do we? We just hide it in a sister and that toxin and it just builds up inside our souls. We're so frustrated. We hate our lives. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it, was, it troubled me deeply. Listen to this, verse 17. This is the turn of the entire psalm. Till I enter the sanctuary of God. Till he sees God. And then I understood their final destiny. And he goes on here to talk about the wicked and how, what the real situation is. And I, I want to skip for him to verse um, Verse 21, and he says, when my, spirit, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. He's saying, ah, my, how limited my perspective was. How limited it was. And then he says, I was senseless and a brute beast before you. Now look at t- verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Listen to this, these words of complete and perfect contentment. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Isn't that beautiful? Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Isn't that beautiful? 
See, I, I want to conclude here by taking this psalm to Christ because Jesus himself, no one, listen to me, no one was treated more unfairly in life than Jesus. And yet no one trusted God more fully than Jesus. We can go to Jesus. You can read through the Gospels and you can see our lives, see the betrayal, see the loneliness, see the agony, see the, 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 the frustration, see the sense of just being misunderstood, of being rejected. See the loss. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You think about financial difficulties. He had nothing. Nothing. And it's in that nothingness, it's in that absence, it's in that loss that he shows his real power. Because listen to me, this is so good. If you really want to move from the, from the place of coveting to a place of contentment, it is when we look at the power of Christ, a power that is not found in getting more, but in being able to lose everything. Think about that. The ability to actually let go of reputation. That's what he did. The ability to, to let go of health. That's what he did. The ability to let go of friendships, of hardships, of disappointment. He let it go. He laid it down. That is real power. The power to actually come and in humility lay down everything. I've called this sermon inheriting the earth or to inherit the earth because that ability that ability that power that power simply to let go to be a nobody to be wronged to not have to be a big deal that's called meekness it's incredible no one talks about it meekness it's this ability to simply come and, and give and lose, to lay down our lives. It's not easy. It's not easy at all, but it's beautiful. It's astonishing. And Jesus does it because, he's, because he has power. And where does that power come from? It comes from knowing his father's provision. He knew for sure that his father would provide that on the other side of, of death is life. On the other side of rejection is welcome. As a father saying, well done. As a father smile. That on the other side of, of pain and torment is comfort and hope. See, the Christian life is a life. This is so important. As we get into next Sunday, we'll be jumping into this very beautiful idea. The Christian life is a story of death to resurrection. It's a story of, not of life, but of death unto life. And I'm going to ask you this morning, what, what, what is God doing in your life right now? How is he taking something from you? How are you wanting others' lives? How are you wanting to be him, wanting to be her? How is God present? Why has God brought that loss into your life? Is he there to actually, to actually love and serve and give? And let me, let me tell you, your struggle with coveting, your str our struggle with loss, our struggle with this lack of contentment in our lives is a struggle that we cannot fight on our own. It will never be you and Jesus that figure this out. It will be you 
and Jesus and the body of Jesus Christ. As we enter the Advent season, let's remember the words of the prophet Zechariah that was quoted in Matthew. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you. And the word here in in English, it's usually trained gentle, but it's really meek. Meek and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, God, Jesus comes to us not on a war horse. He comes to us in meekness and in humility. I want to conclude where we began this morning with the call to worship. Listen to Jesus' words. They're so classic and beautiful. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, there's the word again, gentle or meek. I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, have you received that? Have you entered into his rest? Have you entered? Have you said, you know what? I don't want to be in control anymore. I don't have control. It's just all illusions of control. I am surrendering myself to you. I will follow. I will not, I will, I will not follow the spirit of this age, a spirit that says, oh, it's up to me. No one cares. I can do whatever I want because that is exhausting. It is, it is, it is the path to anxiety, the path to despair, the path of self-reliance is lethal. It's just lethal. The path of living your life in control. It's deadly. And I'm asking you, will you surrender? Will you surrender to the one who is peace? Surrender to the one who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, um, we look at the beauty of your ways, and they are, so, they are so foreign to us. They're foreign to me. Father, as I read Psalm 73, even now I can see it in my own life. I can see just the, the, the frustration, the sense of unfairness, the wanting to raise my fist at you and shake it and say, why me? Why did you do this to me? And yet as I look to the cross, as I look to one who was utterly forsaken, who was treated so unjustly by the world, so unfairly by you, we are forced to ask, why him? Why not me? Why wasn't that me? Father, you have not begun to begun to deal with us fairly. You have not remotely given us what we deserve. You have satisfied us with a full salvation. Lord Jesus, you have saved us in every possible way. Out of our slavery, you have brought freedom. Out of our despair, you have brought hope. Out of our loneliness, you have brought fellowship. And out of death, you have given life. Out of curse, you have brought blessing. And out of evil, you have brought so much good. Father, forgive us for leaning on our such, our such limited perspectives. Forgive us for doubting your incredible provision. And Father, help us to see the power of Christ, a power that is not of this world, a power of, of soldiers and armies, a power of CEOs and financiers, a power of, of Hollywood stars and all the like. It is a true power, a power to lose everything. Lord Jesus, you indeed were very equal. You were, you were in very nature God, but you did not consider equality with God something to be used for your own advantage but you emptied yourself, becoming a servant. 
becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, you are exalted. You reign on high. You are there and have been given the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, I pray that there would be knees even this morning who bow, who fully surrender their lives, their futures, their youth, their midlife, their retirement, their whole lives to you this morning. Father, would our prayer be, lay me down. I am not my own. I belong to you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.